This episode of the podcast is sponsored by knitwear designer, plant dyer, and yarn shop owner, Triple Threat, Lotta H. Lothgren. Lotta lives and works in the forest of southern Sweden, where her unlikely little yarn shop, Elk Market Yarn, is located in a small wooden cottage from the early 20th century. Lotta dyes yarn with both foraged local plants and those growing in warmer climates, and her knitwear designs are inspired by her nearest surroundings, the forests, the changing seasons, the lakes, and the starlit night sky. As a Pomcast listener, you now get 10% off your next order at elkmarketyarn.com with the code POMCASTAPRIL. That's P-O-M-C-A-S-T-A-P-R-I-L. And Lotto can't wait to welcome you to the forest. I can't wait to go. It sounds magical. It really does. Hi and welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly. We're a knitting and craft magazine, don't you know? Welcome, my name is Sophie Heathscott and I'm joined by Lydia Gluck. Hi Lydia. Hi Sophie, how are you doing? I'm good. How's your day been so far? It's been pretty good. I've been, um, well, as listeners may know, I moved house last year and I am still unpacking and organising. As we all know, sometimes these things take years. So I am... Um, in a process of unpacking my art and craft supplies, which is kind of fun because it means I'm like, ooh, I forgot I had these pens or like, ooh, I have these paints as well. I didn't know that. So now I'm trying to organize them sensibly so that um, I can use them easily. And people who know me will know that organizing things sensibly is not a strong point of mine. (laughs) I feel like I'm now worried that I've known you've lived in this house this long without your pens. Like, I mean... I know, nightmare. <laughs> it's okay. You know how like when you're moving and you pack a suitcase that's like, you know, you're not going to be able to get to maybe all of your usual things. So you almost pack as if you're going on holiday. Like, okay, here's enough stuff for me to get by for like a couple of weeks while things are in flux, as I used, as I like to call it. I did a similar thing with my art and craft supplies where I, I put aside some um, short-term essentials, should we say you you got that travel project or whatever yeah yeah exactly (laughs) but it's had to last me a little bit longer than I initially anticipated how about you what have you been up to yeah I'm good I've really been enjoying all the great magnolia trees around my neighborhood uh did you know a magnolia tree is pollinated by a beetle instead of a bee I did not I really didn't know that I love magnolia trees I feel like they were one of my favorite springtime London things like there's a lot of magnolia trees in London and I've been looking for them in Norwich and I finally finally found some so yeah there's it's a real joy with this uh you know like easing out of the winter into spring um so yeah that's giving me a lot of joy and in Pomland we this week we have been photographing a publication we have indeed we had um the photo shoot for our sock book eventual title tbc suffice to say it's a book of sock patterns sort of modeled after ready set raglan style and we've been working with the incredible rachel coopy who uh loves socks so much and designing them so much that she made her own yarn for socks called socks yeah (laughs) yeah so i think we've uh you might have seen on instagram and stuff like that we are releasing this book uh sort of autumn this year so it's exciting the plans of that are coming together and of course 
the photo shoot is a big part of that and it's fun to have the team together and uh, yeah, take uh, pictures of socks. We also had some of the team modelling, which is great. It's a real foot in the door for my modelling career. <laughs> <laughs> we had some good foot and sock related puns all day, mainly courtesy of Sophie, as you can all imagine. I mean, that's why I'm on the shoot for those kind of things. All right. Well, we should introduce uh, this episode's guest. We should indeed. So I know that you spoke to the amazing knitwear designer, Einor Birkenbayeva, this week, which I can't wait to listen to. Yes. Einor is just, just inspiring and warm and lovely. Everything you can want from someone to talk to about knitting. Uh, I had a great time chatting with her. Um, you'll know her designs from issue 36. She did the Day Spring jumper, which is sort of this dolman sleeve jumper or sweater, if you will. It's sort of shown striped or plain in the in the magazines. Check that out. Also, Astragal from issue 30. It's a design I've made. I love that. And it has this great like lighthouse uh, lamp details around the yoke, uh, sort of like an oval textured stitch. Yes, that was a very good description of that stitch. I can see it in my mind. And of course, uh, Alatau, uh, which is a hat from issue 31. And this is really interesting. Uh, we actually talk a little bit about construction details, not this hat specifically. Um, but this is a hat with a top-down construction, did you know? Whoa! Yeah, so I think <laughs> Ainor is, <laughs> is known for um, sort of approaching construction in an interesting way. And in um, our upcoming 10th anniversary summer issue, Ainor has a design which is a pair of socks, a lot of sock chat today. Um, and they are special for many reasons, but their construction is one of the main, one of those main ones. Yeah, so it was great to talk to her um, about her process of designing, how she come to be, came to be a designer. And uh, yeah, I'd love to introduce you to Einor and uh, let's have a listen. Welcome, Einor. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. It's a good morning uh, to you, and you were saying good afternoon to me. Thank you. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's always nice to have a time difference. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Yeah. Confusing is another word. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say we've all we've just had uh, daylight savings in action this weekend on the UK. So. Oh, we did that. We did that a week or two ago. Yeah, yeah, because we have the US office as well. We were oh. obviously double checking our meeting times and I was double checking my meeting time for you, but I'm glad, yes, everything yeah. is co co-aligned and uh, come into place. Well, the US won't be changing time anymore from what I so understand. So I hear, yeah. Be, yeah. What do you think about that? Um, I, I like that because um, I'm from Kazakhstan and we stopped doing that a while ago and things got simpler i don't know it's always confusing even if it's just an hour you know yeah. switching back and forth there's always adjustment so i'm glad about that great well i'm glad that was the whole interview it's just me getting you on on here to check that <laughs> that was the topic <laughs> the main topic of discussion <laughs> um no, so here we are. We're here on the podcast to have a nice chat about knitting your your likes your dislikes your loves and the whole world uh, around there. I, I wondered actually, maybe you could just introduce yourself for our listeners, uh, just sort of uh, who you are and 
Yeah, if someone, you know, that thing where someone says the elevator pitch or the lift pitch, you've got oh 30 my seconds. God. <laughs> I don't have an elevator sp- speech. <laughs> and it's never 30 seconds. <laughs> I can go on forever. <laughs> anyway, um, um, my name is Ainur, obviously. My last name is Birkimbaeva. Uh, I wouldn't dare anybody try pronouncing that. I just, Ainur B. Uh, I am from Kazakhstan. Uh, I moved to the U.S. in 2013. Um, um, I was here, here in the United States for two years, from 2007 to 2009, doing grad school. Um, and that's where I met my uh, now husband. And yeah, so, uh, and then I left. And then, and then that was that. And then, and then I came back. <laughs> Doesn't sound like an elevator speech, does it? <laughs> I love that you're like trying to edit yourself. I'm, I can really feel it, the attention yeah. to detail. Yes, I'm a rambler. <laughs> That's, and that makes my life so much, you know, great, more enjoyable on a podcast to have someone who wants to talk. So, I mean, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, um, it, it was, um, it was interesting because I was uh, never planning to live in the U.S., um, I came here for the studies and then, and then with my then boyfriend, now husband, we were trying to figure out what to do and we tried different scenarios where he would, you know, like go to Kazakhstan to work and maybe live and then would see where it was going. Cause I wasn't ready to settle down per se. Anyway, uh, yeah, eventually things didn't work and we broke up and then, and then actually we reunited in London. Um, Great city, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, but I, I, I'm afraid that Londoners might hate me, but I really did not like London. <laughs> it was February, I was there, and it was so cold. And it's the kind of cold that I hadn't experienced. It's the kind of cold that temperature-wise, it feels like it's warm, so you go wearing a short skirt and, you know, uh, like coat and then the cold just penetrates through your bones i was like what is this <laughs> but, yeah sorry I'll, I'll have a word with london about that see what I, can do <laughs> I was like oh no wonder people are so cold here <laughs> <laughs> that's why i love knitting so much you know <laughs> right um but uh, um, everything else was great. I mean, aside from the weather, but weather is such a huge factor for me because I'm from the southern Kazakhstan and it's really warm there. Not Florida warm, but um, our winters are shorter, warm weather is longer. So, so yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> Well, remind me where you are. Where's home now? Remind me where you are now. I am uh, I am in East Greenbush, New York, which is like 10, 15 minutes away from Albany, the capital of New York State, which, by the way, I didn't know um, when I got my uh, student documents and stuff. And it said Albany, because I applied to a scholarship, so they took care of the, you know, all the picking the school and stuff. Anyway, I got the papers and it said Albany, New York. I was like what's Albany? I was like, there must be a street in New York City. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to New York. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot of people may not know Albany is the capital city of New York State. 
it's in there we go i mean i'm sure lots of listeners have learned something me included (laughs) so there we go (laughs) yeah but um yeah um Okay, so uh, where were we? <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, let's take it right back to the beginning. I was going to say, what what were your earliest memories of knitting? Our earliest memories? Oh, gosh. I, I don't, like, I just, I was born into it, I feel like. My, uh, my mom, my grandmothers on both sides, um, everybody I knew did something. And my mom was so good, and she still is good at everything it was just um yeah and I thought that was the norm I didn't think it was anything unusual and I just and I tried to learn to knit when I was five and mom wouldn't let me um probably for good reason but uh yeah she would had me try long tail cast on and she told me until that cast on would be straight and neat and perfect I couldn't go on to the next stage so it was three four years of me trying every now and then again and again and again and finally when I was probably around eight or nine she was like okay we're ready for the knit stitch (laughs) so um, yeah the first thing I knitted was something I designed It was a rectangle both ways. It's like a strap top for my doll. I just remember thinking, what an ugly stitch a garter stitch is. And it's funny, after making all this sort of go-around knitting and knitwear design, now garter stitch is my favorite stitch. I just keep coming back to it, and I love it, and I feel like it's the most beautiful, most versatile, and I don't know. I just, I just love it. But it's funny. I'm remembering that it was the first stitch I learned because you knit on both sides when you knit flat. And I just remember, oh, I can't wait to learn to knit other things because I hate this stitch. <laughs> what do you think it was that made you, because I love a bit of garter stitch. I think it's just like cozy and squishy and delicious. What was it that made you fall in love with it? Oh, well, what made me fall in love is is uh, the texture. I love touching it and I love that it's elastic and especially when you knit consistently, it becomes beautiful. The first time when you're learning to knit, garter stitch is going to show you all your, you know, inconsistencies and imperfections with all those bumps on every side with the pearl bumps. With knit stitch, at least, even if you're not knitting like a stockinette, if even if you're not consistent, it still looks smooth, you know, on one side. Mm. I think, I think that's, I think that was my thinking. But yeah, it was a full circle, starting from garter stitch and coming back to garter stitch. <laughs> Beautiful, I love it, I love it. And you're a designer now, but we wanted to ask, like Megan was saying, uh, Megan, our co-editor, she was saying, like, what I want to know what people's lives were before knitting, as if there was like such an existence, right? So, what was your sort of story uh, that sort of is uh, your adventure into the world of knitting? Because uh, you know, it sounds like it was there, always there, but yeah. uh, your sort of uh, your your journey into becoming a knitting designer. Um. So, yeah, there wasn't a time when I wasn't. Whenever I was doing something, you know, it would be knitting. I would come back to it every now and then. And 
I don't know, like my mom always knits stuff for us. Um, and she doesn't call it knitwear design. She's like, oh, I'm not a knitwear designer, but she doesn't read patterns. She just creates all of that, takes measurements and stuff like that. And I'm like, mom, that's designing. She's like, no, I don't do that professional stuff you do. It's not knitwear design. But um, that's what everybody did, you know, who knitted when I was growing up. And uh, to me, those two things, knitting and designing and creating were just, you know, the same thing. So yeah, if I needed to knit something, I would just pick out needles and then try and then rip out until it was the right size. And so I don't think I was not knitting or not designing, but when I embarked on knitwear design as in publishing patterns, um, it was the time of my life that was, um, that was very confusing. Um, because I had just moved to the U S and then we became pregnant as in we weren't planning and, um, and, and that was a shock to the system. And, and also prior to coming to the U S I had built a life for myself where I was independent and I was, um, making good money, helping my family there. So, you know, these three aspects of life were, you know, your financial independence, and then suddenly you're have a life growing within you. And suddenly, you know, you realize you're going to become a parent. And then being in a country place where um, you don't feel like you belong, you know, those three things um, hit me hard, but I didn't know it It did. I think it's um, something that, a lot, I think mental health issues are like that. They sneak up on you and you don't know. And only in retrospect, I think, I don't know. It was my experience that now that I'm looking back, I realize, oh my God, I was really struggling. So knitting was something that, um, it was my coping mechanism, so to speak. I would knit at night. Um, both of my children had severe acid reflux that, and, and they loved to nurse. They would nurse all night long. So it was either nursing or holding them up, you know, so they wouldn't throw up. Um, and yeah, knitting was something that was uh, that kept me company and uh, kept me in check, so to speak. I would have my notes there, and I'd be taking notes of what I'm knitting, what I'm adjusting. Um, so my initial patterns were all baby knitwear designs because I was knitting for my um, for my kids, and I was designing them. And um, Instagram, social media in general, I don't know. Maybe it's it hasn't changed. Maybe it has, but at the time it was such a wonderful way to connect with other creatives. And, uh, I got a lot of encouragement and, um, even people saying, Hey, you know, I would love to knit this. Could you write up a pattern? May I test knit? Those things meant a lot that, you know, my skills were being needed and, um, yeah, it kept me going. So that's how I got into <laughs> knitwear design. <laughs> sure a lot of people can relate I mean myself as well as having knitting as that that anchor when a lot of things can feel uncertain yeah it's this 
it's like this mini journey you go on, mini vacation, so to speak. You start a project, you have all these plans, things change along the way, such as your gauge. <laughs> and then and then you kind of figure your way out. You either rip back and redo. By the time you finish, you've had this amazing experience of going through it all, learning lessons. Um, some of the Things that you are thinking get woven, knitted into the fabric of it that every time you wear, you sort of relive those lessons learned, so to speak. Um, I'm not trying to be romantic about it. I mean, some knitwear, some sweaters are filled with angst and anxiety, and I put them on, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> Well, I think not speaking romantic, I feel like you're speaking passionately. You're telling the truth of what it is to to go through that process, I guess. Well, I guess I'm just trying to avoid that um, thing that, um, I don't know, it may be frustrating, uh, like social media, Instagram in particular, has become such a curated experience that people come with only their best experiences to share and best pictures to showcase that it creates this, I don't know, idea that, oh, it must be, you know, rainbows and butterflies to knit and design. And, um, and, and, I can understand why that happens because, you know, if I'm experiencing something negative, I don't want to compound that by sharing it online. So, you know, there's that side of it. But the other side of sharing only the good stuff creates this myth of, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think I have to remind myself, you know, you get sucked into that and you have to say social media is not real life. You know, you're thinking like, oh, right. should I be making more stuff? Should I, oh, I should probably get into this now. Oh, I should, you know, it's, uh, it's that balance for sure. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't, I haven't found a word other than I love it and I hate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yesterday I was photographing myself for a new design that's coming out. And uh, I just remember, I every day I my kids are bigger now, but they're still co-sleeping. So you know, like sleep deprivation is a huge issue for me and my husband. And I woke up there, you know, huge bags under my eyes, and you know, lots of wrinkles from from just being tired, you know. And uh, and I was like, oh, I need to photograph. <laughs> And then I remember photographing and looking through the photos and be like, oh, no. <laughs> but it was the not so much, you know, if it was a photograph for myself, uh, I wouldn't have minded. But I'm just I just I was just dreading thinking about having to post it on social media. And yeah. <laughs> And there is no time to retake it. So like this has, you know, you just like this will have to be it. <laughs> hmm. I was going to say, like, I suppose we all are our own worst critic in those situations. Well, uh, yes and no, because here's the thing with the network design. 
you are designing, but you're also the model, you're also the photographer, you're also the marketer, and um, and let's be honest, social media algorithms, they're not there to, you know, to benefit the individuals, whatever it's built. It's built to make, make money, and there are a lot of issues that are baked into it. The structural issues that are, you know, uh, within the world outside the social media, everything from racism to uh, ableism to to transphobia to whatever ageism, whatever you have, and and uh, um, for the longest time, I struggled with showing my face on Instagram because I thought when people realized I was, you know, not your average. Uh, American white woman knitter <laughs> that um, that uh, a lot of people would disengage, and then I I don't know, like the conversations that started, they didn't start; they've been around. But the conversations around race that erupted in two thousand nineteen, in a way, made me take a step back and look back and reevaluate you know, how I'm, how I'm contributing to the problem and how I'm also stifling myself and my own individuality. And I don't know if I'm making sense, but it gave me a push to, you know, embrace myself more. How do you feel about it now? Because I think, you know, sort of that conflict of using the space to market yourself but then also how do you feel comfortable in that space is that sort of what you're saying um yes um yes I think I haven't found the answer to how to do it successfully and success is such a vague word that is up to everybody's interpretation but the majority interprets it as becoming mainstream making you know um income and I'm not there. <laughs> so I am redefining what success means for me. And uh, there's another word that I keep going back to sustainability and sustainability is something that people talk from the lens of um, financial sustainability, environmental sustainability, but I'm also thinking of spiritual sustainability. How can I, how can I, keep my um, inspiration, love, connection with people in a way that does not wear me out. So I am giving myself permission to disengage and, you know, sort of take a break and not push myself so hard to like, make constant posts sometimes i post often sometimes i disappear and it all depends on how i'm feeling in the moment and what conversations are being had sometimes there's horrible not sometimes I, i'm guessing every day horrible things happen happen around the world but there are some that hit too close home that that um paralyze you in a way that you know, you can't think or do anything else. So, so yeah, I'm leaning on that 
spiritual sustainability, so to speak, to give myself permission to not be to not be like a robot. I'm not saying those who do show up consistently are robots. I mean, people figure out for themselves what works and I'm trying to figure out what works for me. And so far, it's not something that aligns with the mainstream success and financial sustainability. And I'm thinking maybe that's okay too. Yeah, it's really interesting. You've given me a, I don't know, I'm thinking about when I'm sort of like, tapped out from the online resources I'm like well what is it the thing that I'm trying to get I'm actually like oh I'm trying to communicate with people can I like shift that into a different space you know yeah 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 I think um I think we it's 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 hard to think for yourself in the sense that like what are my values what do i want from this all the time because we are wired to follow what's popular what's trending i mean it's in our evolution that's how we survived these thousands of years yeah those Um, berries seem edible and popular i will uh yeah try them (laughs) right um i was uh watching a documentary i mean i watch a lot of documentaries while I'm knitting samples. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I watch a lot of um, trash uh, reality TV shows and stuff too, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, but I was uh, watching this documentary about human behavior. I love, you know, psychology-related uh, documentaries, and it was showing how on social media they showed two posts to two uh, different groups. In one group, they showed a post uh, where one, the first picture had a million likes and the second one ha- had 100 likes. So the first group automatically just picked the first picture that had million likes and liked that picture. And they had their reasons for doing that. Uh, they could justify and explain. It was very rational. And then they had a control group. And to the control group, they switched around and put million likes under the second post, the second picture. And the first one had a uh, hundred something. So, you know, they switched things around and they picked the second picture with million likes and they had their own reasons in, in both situations, the posts with pictures and captions, the, I, I should have prefaced. This was uh, meant to look like an Instagram post um, to, to test people's biases uh, towards popularity. Um, And it was interesting in both cases, you know, people leaned towards what was popular Um, despite the content, despite the quality, despite the caption. And, and that was really, I wouldn't say eye opening, but validating. Yeah, it sort of gives a context almost, you know. Yes, yes. And you you see, oh, this is how we are wired. And it was interesting to sort of become introspective and like think about my thinking, so to speak, when I go through Instagram. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Huh, why did I like that? (laughs) I know. Second guessing yourself now. (laughs) Not so much second guessing, but more like, this is interesting. Like, Wow, I do the same thing. (laughs) Very interesting. Well, moving on from digital world to the print world, Pom Pom Quarterly, 
uh, we're very excited to have you as one of our designers for the upcoming summer issue, issue 41. Uh, so thank you for being part of that. And um, yeah, one of the designs is yours. We haven't released as the time of this interview is going out. The previews won't yet be live, but we wondered if you could give us some clues about what we can expect. Like what is the, what is the pattern? What was your design process? Some ideas, just some little like little tidbits to get us excited, I guess. Um, well, I guess we'll have to circle back to Garden Stitch again. <laughs> yeah, great. Because <laughs> it's a Garden Stitch design. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, socks. And, uh, yeah, I have a thing with socks. I, um, I have a hard time knitting, like, regular socks. Not in the sense that I don't like them, but I'm always like, hmm, how could I turn it on its side? <laughs> So that's what I did. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. Um, I like experimenting. I like trying. I don't know. It's in my nature. Um, I love it and I hate it. When people tell me do it this way, I get really, mm, I don't know, like there's a lot of tension within me. And when somebody says do it this way, I feel so. I don't know. I don't know the word for it, but rebellious maybe in a way. And it's, I got to do it a different way. And I'm not saying in knitwear design, that's exactly what I'm doing, but there's a spirit of that where I was like, I want to do something a little different. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, um, socks. And when I think of socks, I always think of, you know, toe up or cuff down and yeah I, I get really excited when there's a different way of doing it so I tried to lean on to what pom-pom means to me um you know like trying something new being brave in a sense uh taking risks you know trying out what you would like to try out um so yeah hardest stitch yeah exactly <laughs> well then i was gonna say here's this like next question where i was saying um you know talking about designing patterns what's an element that you feel is your signature style and am i am i gonna answer your own question with gauze stitch i don't i don't know like i don't know like sometimes i post designs and people are like oh this is so you and i'm like what is so me <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh but for designs that I publish, they are the result of sort of my creative exploration. I love paper folding, paper cutting, um, working with hands. Um, so whatever I am experimenting with or procrastinating with nice. ends up, yeah. ends up feeding into something down the line. I used to feel guilty about getting sidetracked with things. I mean, I still do. But remember that spiritual sustainability that I kind of started thinking about like, oh, you know, like what could feed me creatively? What could feed my brain? Um, so I go on those sort of sabbaticals, so to speak, <laughs> mini sabbaticals. And then, uh, and then it ends up feeding into whatever I'm doing. But generally, I like 
I lean towards more gender neutral designs. Um, they may not be gender neutral in a sense, but I, I don't like too feminine things yet. I am publishing one in like a week or so. That's very feminine. I was like, Oh, <laughs> this I know is not me, <laughs> but you gotta try right. Different things. For sure. When you were talking earlier about sort of making design and you sort of ripping back knitting, it sounded like your process was a little bit more instinctual rather than, okay, this thing, it's going to be a jumper. It's going to look like this. Do you, do you feel that's a way? Actually, I, I get a little bit of both, but for the most part, it's the, you know, what they, they what they call designing on the needles. And it's not like I cast on a sweater and then design as I go, because that would be a disaster. Imagine like 300, 400 stitches being ripped out. But I do think of a design, well, I think it, it starts differently. Sometimes the focus is on the shaping, right? So I figure it out by playing with paper, um, trying to figure it out. I use uh, fabric, cut it out, try it on my, um, uh, dress form, kind of see where it might go. And then I swatch. But as I go, I give myself the permission to move away from the original plan if I see something else happening that might be interesting. So I have to stop knitting the sweater and then go back to swatching and figuring out how the, you know, the different parts of it might work. But I hear the there are a lot of designers, designers that I look up to, knitwear designers that I look up to, who sit down and swatch and swatch and figure every detail out and have it charted out and then work out the grading and everything on Excel. And when everything is ready, they go and start knitting the sample. And I could never do that. <laughs> I don't have the attention span or focus to... <laughs> to to go through that process and I'm not saying that that is the way to go I'm just I think that is one way to do sometimes we get we buy into the idea that there is only one way of doing something and there isn't and I'm a firm believer in whatever works for you <laughs> So yeah, that's how I work. I, there is no one way I do it. It's different every time. It depends on the design. Um, sometimes the designs are stitch driven because I'm just experimenting with a stitch and coming up with a new one. And I'm trying to, you know, sort of find the best way to use it. So the design itself might be a simple, you know, round top, top down yoke, but I'm trying this experimental stitch and sometimes it doesn't work out. Other times it might be simple stitches, but I want to do it a little differently. So then the focus is on shaping. So it depends. Just like there's no one right way to like be creative, come up with an idea like your process. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's, um, I, I see that as my growth because when I was starting out, I'd be locked into this. Okay. I got to figure it out. I got to see what kind of, and then I just sit in front of a blank piece of paper and I'm like, how do they design? <laughs> like, how do people keep coming up with designs? I always like from, from uni, like that was the one thing I remember, like 
doing a design course they say you can't design from nothing you like very rarely like even the greatest thinkers do they look at a blank piece of paper and be like idea you know you have to feed yourself you know right and sometimes this is a crazy thing sometimes I wake up I have some kind of a dream or something where I get you know the screaming voice this could turn into a design so I have to jump out of bed and it happens rarely you know Uh, I'm not that kind of a <laughs> you are that genius yeah I'm not that genius no it ha- I, I think I can remember maybe once or twice it happened and I rem- I remember distinctly thinking if I don't get up and write this down it won't be around <laughs> in the morning so I would do that but yeah in the morning I look at it and be like dream scramblings of uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah but even that feeling of like excitement it's 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 precious but yeah some i think one of those two times it did turn into something so yeah but i wouldn't rely on that kind of inspiration but speaking of that excitement that kind of excitement is something that i live for in knitwear design when you know, when you're looking through different things and, you know, you think, oh, there might be something there. There might be something there. And then suddenly you are in the shower or you're cooking. It just comes together. And and then, you know, you got to drop everything and run and and. But again, it doesn't just click and happen in a moment. It's all because of all the previous work that you had done, all the swatching, all the ideas, the trials and errors. And then at one moment it clicks. I don't know if I'm making sense, but I I, I feel like I'm nodding. I'm like, I'm definitely getting a lot of uh, (laughs) sense from this. I'm feeling inspired. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. um, Yeah. So. I just want to address something that, you know, like goes back to the whole, you know, romanticized view of network design um, that a lot of the times, okay, it's not a lot of the times, but from time to time, I get messages of people saying, oh, I could knit this without buying the pattern or something like that. I don't want to go down the path of negativity because, you know, everybody has stories to share and that's not the point of me bringing this up. But I want to highlight that, yeah, you know, seeing something finished and knitting from it is not the same as exploring that, having that experience of trying and and trying different things and putting together and it not working out and then going back to the drawing what's the you know step one what's the phrase you know um drawing board board. drawing board thank you um and then you finally finalize and then a finished object you look at it and say oh i could knit that but knitting and then designing it i different things you know coming up with that where all the elements fit together that's a whole journey so when you're buying a pattern for whatever you know 9 10 12 16 whatever dollars that designers put up um you're actually saving a lot of hours of work trying to figure out all those details um so so yeah, I just wanted to highlight that part a little bit. That um... I think, yeah, the hard work of a designer is always a good PSA to have. It feels like uh, some reference I can't even know who made it, but it's like modern art is people saying I could paint that. Oh yeah, but they didn't. 
you know? So <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I look and it's like I, I buy a lot of patterns from other designers because for me that's the best um source of education and continual professional development. It's not so much that I'm trying to copy or stuff, but I get so excited. Oh, this is, you know, like I want to like I want to explore how they arrived at this. I want to see what their thinking was. And the only way you can do that is by knitting through it. And I remember when I was starting knitwear design, it was, it's silly to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway, I'd be knitting and then um, a pattern and somewhere along the way, you know, there were, there've been a lot of increases, decreases or whatever. And then I arrive and then there's a final stitch count and I would count. I was like, oh, how did they know? <laughs> <laughs> how did they know I would arrive at this number? I love it. <laughs> it's that, you know, like I get this childish excitement. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. this is magic. <laughs> It is. And I think it's great to not lose that. You know, it, it is. Uh, yeah, it should be fun. It should be magic. Yeah. yeah, I don't share that with everybody, but I thought uh, you'd be cool with that. I love it. I know. It. Yeah, me and, a, me and a couple of other thousand people or whatever. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Well, it's been delightful talking to you. I just want to finish with our sort of last question we like to end these interviews with, which is what are you excited about right now? It can be anything. It doesn't have to be craft related. Uh, yeah, what's what are you excited about? Oh, oh, I just turned 38. Congratulations, yes. And um, I feel like in my head, I'm like, I feel like I turned eight plus 30. <laughs> I'm so excited. I got a guitar and I started learning, learning uh, how to play on it. Um, for the longest time, I had this belief that you know, I'm musically challenged, so to speak. <laughs> I still may be, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I'm just, um, I took this online course on guitar for beginners and I was so in awe when I completed that course and I understood what they were talking about and, you know, regarding musical theory and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like a new world opened up for me. Um, doesn't mean anything. It will go anywhere. But I'm just excited to to be exploring something and sort of rewiring that thought that I had about myself in terms of music that I don't have interest in it, that I'm not good at it or whatever. It's just, it's it's what, you know, like a wonderful teacher can do for you. It can make you believe that, you know, you can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic i'm so happy for you that sounds exciting yes um doesn't mean i'm gonna play for anybody um but some things can be just fun for you and i think that's, that, that's what i'm yeah. yes i look forward to the nightly practices and stuff so so yeah my uh, new guitar is in the hallway right now in the box and do you have a name for it? I feel like, is that a thing? People give their guitars names? I don't know. I'm not into that culture yet, but I'm I'm starting to discover that uh, there are a lot of opinions about guitars in the guitar community. Yeah. So I'm like, whoa, this is quite niche. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Another world to get involved in. Yeah. <laughs> Another rabbit hole to fall down. Yeah. <laughs> Well, great. All right. Well, we won't ask you for a solo just yet, but maybe one day. Um, <laughs> who knows? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe I'll bring it to Rhinebeck. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. One day. <laughs> great. Okay. Well,
Well, I just wanted to uh, sort of end with asking if people want to find out more about you, uh, where is the best place to go? Uh, I am on Instagram at Mama's Teddy Bear. Um, we're not going to talk about where that came from <laughs> <laughs> right now. <laughs> but yeah, my website is also Mama's Teddy Bear dot com. And uh, my email is hello at Mama's Teddy Bear dot com. <laughs> You can go and say hello then. I love it. You can say hello. Yes. Especially if you're getting started with guitar, let's talk. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, there needs to be the overlapping of the knitting and guitar community right here. Yes, because I was thinking, I was thinking of knitting a guitar strap. I'm still oh, thinking about it. Okay. Hmm. Because apparently guitar straps are, are a thing where you express yourself. Besides from playing music. If yeah. you <laughs> That whole music thing isn't expressive enough. I need a, a strap. Yes, I need to express through the guitar strap. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, coming soon. Next pattern from you, guitar strap. Well, uh, yes. You heard it here first. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's been lovely to chat with you, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks. having me. Bye. <laughs> What a pleasure to hear you chatting to Ainor. She's always such a joy. She has such a warm and thoughtful approach to knitting with such an excellent sense of fun too. Yeah, it was really fun. We had a good giggle. Uh, after I came out doing the uh, episode, my husband was like, there's a lot of laughing in that interview. And I was like, yeah, sure. That's what the interviews are like here. So, you know. <laughs> Knitting is fun, didn't you know? <laughs> yeah. So thanks again, uh, Ainor, for joining us. And you can find all the notes, uh, anything we referenced in that episode on the show notes, which you can find via the Pom Pom blog. Uh, pompommag.com as always and before we finish this episode we just want to say a big thank you to Elk Market Yarn who are our sponsors don't forget you can get 10% off your next order at their website elkmarketyarn.com just use the code POMCASTAPRIL because the month is April you listen to the POMCAST nice and easy uh, at the checkout and uh, yeah nice little 10% off your order there so it just remains to say thank you Sophie and thank you POMCATS and we'll see you slash be in the same aural space as you very soon. Nice. Oh, thanks, Lydia, by the way. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Podcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Heathscott, along with the team at Pom Pom Quarterly Magazine. You can buy your copy of the magazine and subscribe too at our online shop, pompommag.com forward slash shop. Big thanks, as always, to Eli Block for creating the original music for this show and for being an essential part in creating this podcast. Thanks, as always, to Megan Fernandez, co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Coursely. And our big thanks and love to the whole Pom Pom team working behind the scenes. You know who you are. If you enjoyed this podcast, which of course you did, you're still listening, please subscribe and why not leave a review? We would like five out of five. Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com. And don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum.